at a certain point, if you haven't been running, the muscles are going <laughs> to not like <laughs> after so many miles. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the second half, I went into the race knowing it was going to hurt like a ton, and I was pretty well mentally prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, I certainly slowed down, but I, I refused to let it, you know, beat me down mentally or anything. So I was, I was in a really good headspace for that portion of the race, at least. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre, skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to solpre.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a pro triathlete. He's been racing since 2017 as a professional. He started much earlier than that actually racing. Um, his focus is predominantly long course. I think he'll tell us more about moving towards full Ironman instead of 70.3s. Um, and interestingly, he's also an operating room travel nurse. Uh, welcome to the show, Adam Fye. Thanks. Yeah. And then we're, as you were telling me before we got going, you're on baby duty, baby duty today. I'll say baby, but she's not really a baby baby. Yeah, she's a status now so <laughs> so if you've gotta if you gotta pick her up anybody watch on youtube if you you know baby might come in frame don't be distracted uh adam is here to answer questions <laughs> in any case um but yeah thanks I mean, thanks for coming on i know um at least from my own training and i do about half the hours that you do now uh things are always hectic so i appreciate you taking the time out of training schedule and and work uh to, to talk with me yeah, sure. There's not not a whole lot of a training schedule right now. It's a you know that time of the year to, to really chill out. So uh, I kind of saw. It seemed like. Uh, do you have another race in December? Was is that correct? That is yes. That won't be in. Uh, I certainly won't be in peak form for it. But uh, okay, head on out to Indian Wells and uh, see what happens in a half. Uh, gonna try a few things in a block coming up. Uh, try to really get the swim. Uh, a good swim block in and yeah, see what happens on not perfect fitness. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like an ex- like an experimental like test test race almost. Yeah, I mean, uh, even if you're not completely 100% prepared for a race, you, you can still learn a lot of things from it. I mean, I've certainly done more races than is necessarily ideal in the past couple of years. Uh, yeah, to sort of get that learning curve out of the way, uh, and it's worked. I've, I've made a lot of mistakes and I've, I've learned from a good amount of them uh doesn't mean you can't make the same mistakes again but <laughs> yeah when you try your best yeah it's like you you do something you well, yeah, i mean obviously you go into the race of the plan it's not like you've never had done a triathlon before and then you figure out where things like you know went wrong the temperature was too high or too low or the humidity or whatever affected you and you're like okay i need to account for this other minute thing <laughs> before the race. It's all this big learning environment. Yeah, there, there's so many factors that go into to half and full distance racing that, I mean, the more that you can mitigate and plan for is the better. Yeah, I know the uh, very first half I did was at uh, Eagle Man. I, I think you raced Eagle Man this last year uh, or early, yeah, in the, early in the year. With a, with a significantly better result this year than, uh, than two years prior. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, like that course has zero shade, and I I was just unprepared for how much of like a beating the sun was going to give you at that you know at that distance. I was just I was absolutely toast. I ended up in the medical tent at the end after finishing because I was just dehydrated. I missed like a water bottle pickup. It it was a total mess. I had to learn from there, so I didn't end up just crazy out of it by the end. Yeah. Yeah, we got lucky this year with some nice cloud cover, uh, rain, and a ton of wind. So it was completely changed the the race, really. Yeah. Do you? I mean, to to deal with those things, what are you doing to prep? Are you like, are you thinking, okay, if we're gonna do, you know, if there's gonna be a windy course, like, um, I don't know about Oceanside, but I know like Santa Cruz is almost always gonna be windy since it's right next to the coast. Are you like, all right, let's do more like high power intervals or are you doing anything specialized to, to deal with those conditions or is it just, let's see what happens on race day. Yeah. I mean, the best way I think to, to approach most races is just to show up in the best fitness that you can. So you can handle anything that the court throws at you. I mean, there's some special, you know, 
circumstances like extreme heat or uh, uh, you know climbs where you're really gonna have to grind out a location or something. But generally, the best idea is to show up with your best fitness. And uh, I mean, I have a, a coach that sort of plans everything for me. So mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we talk about the best ways to go into races and such. Uh, but he he's generally the one that you know helps me uh, make the smart decisions rather than you know. Know, going crazy in one direction and uh, forgetting what the big picture is and what the most important thing leading into a race is, which is you know being the fittest and fastest person on the day as long as long as you limit the uh, other limiters that could pop up. Yeah, uh, yeah. But as far as like wind or something, I mean, as long as you have appropriate gearing, uh, then you know you should be able to shift uh, appropriately and you can handle a bike. Then it shouldn't be an issue. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I know for me that having a coach takes a lot of weight off in terms of you don't have to try to figure out both inside your head, oh, I don't feel good or I do feel good. And then how do I incorporate that into workouts? How do you guys kind of figure out that it almost seems like you have an almost like year round race calendar. There doesn't seem to be like a whole lot of an off season. How do you guys like cope with that and, and also still, you know, build forward? So you don't like accumulate too much fatigue. Yeah. Uh, I mean, certainly having times where there's like a little break in there, uh, like right now for me, uh, where there's not a whole lot of training to, to keep things fresh for when you are pushing hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, staying in pretty constant contact uh, with each other so I can tell them how things are going. Because, uh, I mean, sometimes I'll be not training much and just sort of maintaining and, you know, things aren't going well in other parts of my life. And I, you know, need to back off or make sure to get more sleep. Or I can be training, you know, at my highest levels and everything's just clicking along perfectly and we can even add more if we want to. Uh, so, I mean, staying in close contact, uh, I sort of recognize some signs of, of when things aren't going well or when they're about to not go well. Mm. Uh, and uh, sort of using those. And, I mean, I always have liberty to, to pull the trigger on, like, not doing a workout or... Or, you know, I'm relatively intelligent. I love the I love the science part of the sport. So uh, uh, it's it's good in that respect. It's bad in the respect that if I try to think that I know more than he does. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's you know not being afraid to back off when you, when you need to. And I mean, over the years, just sort of trying to learn the signs of of doing too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any like episodes where? You thought you were fine. You continued going. Like, how was that progression for you in terms of kind of learning those internal signals where you're figuring out, okay, like things are not right, and then if I continue going, we're probably going to push into injury or overload or, or whatever. Yeah, uh, the beginning of this year was, uh, you know, a point where I probably learned the most as far as the, where you know things. I might not necessarily be injured or something, but uh, where I just wasn't recovering, I wasn't in good like headspace or mm-hmm. whether overtraining leads to a negative mind space or a negative mind space leads to, you know, not properly adapting or not uh, recovering well. Uh, but yeah, I definitely had the beginning of the year where I was sort of in and out of of training and racing well. Uh, I mean, I, I showed up to a, a race in Mexico and I was just. I went into it just feeling deep down from work and from and the training wasn't like too uh, like too strenuous. It was just the way I was reacting to it and adapt. I wasn't like in a completely positive uh, like adaptation. Basically, mm-hmm. But we'll say. But uh, so I just went into it feeling beat down, and then uh, yeah, and it showed <laughs> pretty easy. Was that was that campesh that you did? Yeah, I was Campeche. Uh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, it was, the hard thing with my schedule now is uh, a lot of times, especially if I don't plan for a race prior to a, when I take a contract, uh, I'll have to stack all of my work hours before I go on a trip to earlier in the week. And uh, if things don't go perfectly smoothly, then uh, not a great way to go uh, go into a race. Yeah. So, I mean, just sort of had a lot of stress. I mean, you know, three flights to get to Mexico and then not knowing how to speak Spanish. And, uh, <laughs> like, and then, try to get around, can't talk to anybody. 
Were you by yourself? Did anybody travel with you? I was. Uh, yep, I was by myself. So uh, it makes it easier and harder. Uh, I do like traveling by myself when I can, uh, just because you can be a little bit more selfish uh, mm -hmm. or take care of yourself a little bit more. Uh, you don't have to worry about other people's plans or their needs, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, normally you want to be able to, uh, you know, have fun and spend time with other people. And there's certainly times for that before races, but uh, being that, you know, having that selfish attitude a little bit before the race is sometimes a good thing. Yeah, I mean, kind of focusing on what you want to eat, you know, if you want to take a nap or whatever it is, you know, I, I know I have kind of my own rituals pre-race and I often have a travel companion now um, and she kind of has learned to just go with the flow because sometimes I'm right on schedule whatever I want to do and sometimes it's like, no, I think we need to do it a little bit differently. So, yeah, not having to, I'll say negotiate with somebody else, even though that's not actually the case, um, can definitely be helpful. Yeah, but, you know, it's also being alone the whole time. You know, you sort of get wrapped up in your own thoughts, too. So it's a double-edged sword, but, yeah, you know, being able to, to know how it affects you both ways is good. Yeah. Um, so I think I was reading on your blog. So you did Chattanooga. That was the most recent race. That was just two weeks ago now. Yeah. Um, and then you were you were in Wisconsin a, a few weeks before that. I, it seemed like you hadn't realized or planned on doing two races quite that close together. Correct. So so how did that all play? How did that all play out? Because I think you said you felt like your legs were pretty trash after Wisconsin, and then going into Chattanooga. How did you know? How did that? Walk yeah. you through that that kind of like three week period or whatever that was. Yeah, I mean, it certainly wasn't a the ideal plan, but uh, it it I think it went well, relatively well for mm -hmm. like how uh, how my prep was leading into them. Uh, so the kicker, the thing that led into that happening was uh, I went to Lake Placid to do that race. Mm -hmm. There's another time where uh, you know I was it was shortly after. A race I did in Ireland, things didn't go well. Things sort of got a little stacked up between work and stress uh, after that race. And then started having a little niggling injury in the hip. And uh, then Lake Placid came, got a mechanical there where my uh, DI2 battery died. So mm. yeah, I went into a very hilly bike course. Yeah. Uh, so I went ahead and pulled the plug on that one, which didn't really want to do. You know, I don't like DNFing a lot. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's it did allow me the opportunity to add Wisconsin, which wasn't too far out from that race. Uh, and then I was, you know, iffy on doing Chattanooga after that, uh, since it was only three weeks after Wisconsin. But uh, I mean, I have a lot of family uh, in the southeast, and and uh, you know, I knew a lot of people going. I, I like the race, uh, so I sort of gave myself some time after Wisconsin to make that decision. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, I went, decided to go for it, and then pretty much call that the end of my uh, my season, at least as far as peaking goes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, leading into Wisconsin, that that nagging hip injury uh, kept on like it it maintained a lot. Like it didn't really get worse. If I tried to run, it would get worse. Uh, so basically, I decided not to run, <laughs> <laughs> and that's not the best plan leading into into an Ironman. Uh, but yeah it's better to be lower on fitness than, uh, than to show up injured and not be able to race. Um, right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean the month leading into Wisconsin, I ran a total of, I think it was like 20 miles. Uh, and you know, it was like, I think it basically like three, like two or three mile runs in the mm -hmm. leading into it. So, definitely not ideal and that made for my legs being completely trashed after the race yeah but uh i mean what's what's some what's the headspace there because like i've done races i'll say unprepared before like early season stuff where you're like we talked about you're not in peak fitness yet but i think it for the at least the average person or even not average person going into an iron man and saying hey let's do all this and then run a marathon and we're going to have almost zero run training. Like obviously that's going to be tough on the head. Once you get to the run and your legs are like, I don't want to do this. Like what, what, what's going through your head as you're 
in that marathon after you've already completed the other, you know, 112 miles or whatever at that point. Yeah. I mean, so for, uh, for like a, a quick synopsis and, uh, into Wisconsin, like the swim went not quite as well as I hoped, but you know, it doesn't make a huge amount of time in, in the fall anyways. And, uh, my biking, I mean, with my run training, not being up snow the prior month, I was able to bike a ton, uh, or at least a ton more than I would normally. Yeah. To. So I knew my bike fitness was good and I was able to ride pretty hard and luckily break a lot of people before we, we got to the run, which was the plan. Uh, and then actually getting off the bike, I felt pretty good. Uh, better than I've ever really felt in an Ironman getting off the bike. Uh-huh. I mean, basically sprinting through transition and the first half of the run, like it's a two loop course. The first entire first loop felt pretty, uh, pretty easy, honestly. Uh, I mean, I maintain run fitness pretty well without having to do much running. Okay. I'm just at this point, I just, I run naturally pretty well, but I knew that it, I knew what the, what was going to happen. And, uh, and it's exactly what did happen. And it's that right after the first loop, uh, you know, coming up on mile 14, that's when the legs just started to completely die. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just didn't have the muscular endurance for it. Uh, so it didn't matter how slow I ran the first half. And I mean, I felt like what the first half I ran, you know, pretty darn slow to try to mitigate that. But I mean, at a certain point, if you haven't been running, the muscles are going <laughs> to not like it after so many miles. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the second half, I went into the race knowing it was going to hurt like a ton and I was pretty well mentally prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I mean, I certainly slowed down, but I, I refused to let it, you know, beat me down mentally or anything. So I was, a, I was in a really good headspace for that portion of the race at least. Yeah. I think it's good to do that kind of like mental, mental prep beforehand. I know I found, uh, myself over the years, um, sometimes like on a run and you're just hurting really bad and you're like, why am I doing this? And that obviously doesn't help your psychology as you try to like go forward yeah. and you get this like negative spiral going on. So that's why I'm always curious, like, you know, what's going on in everybody's, everybody's head just because I mean, the weather's the same for everybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, the course is the same. Um, it's our preparation and then our, our mental preparation that, that varies. Um, so it's just like, yeah. I'm always interested, you know, like, are you saying positive affirmations to yourself? Are you, you know, what, is it just a natural mode of being where you're like, this is just how it is. We're just going to suffer for a while. Yeah. I mean, it, it helped a lot to know, to pretty much know what was going to happen. Like, yeah, I, I knew that the entire race for me was, you know, just about going to be decided in the second half of that run and that it was going to hurt. So, I mean, really Wisconsin ended up being, you know, hard swim and a hard bike ride. Uh, but I mean, it was, you know, relatively easy compared to you know that second half of the run uh you can almost say it was like a half marathon race with a lot of fun stuff before it to get ready because <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know uh, if you're doing things right an iron man bike ride if you're well prepared uh you shouldn't be absolutely gutted ideally i mean it should certainly be hard at times but uh yeah i mean I just thought that that ride was the most fun ride I've ever done in a in a full race or in a race in general. Yeah, well, it's not, yeah, it certainly doesn't hurt to have fun. That's like a really common theme I get with most of the men and women I speak to that race or do whatever. They're like, you know, it's not just suffering. Like I do it because I have fun. And then if you can find that kind of, I'll call it like lightning in a bottle in the middle of a race, yeah. usually you have a better day because you're enjoying yourself instead of just being like grinding it out just to finish yeah you did you did finish in the money at wisconsin i think correct I did. uh yeah i came in uh came in fourth i ended up coming off the bike in second and then uh the eventual winner passed me at about mile six and he was i mean he was strong all day uh for sure i mean especially on the run i'd say he was the only one on the run that brought it home like he wanted to mm-hmm. but i think that's because firepower from the bike uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then uh, a friend, Kevin Portman, passed me and got a few minutes on me by the end of the run, as I was, as I was fading, pretty much. Uh, but yeah, I paid top six, so, uh, yeah, ended up getting, getting some money from that one. 
Is that your? Is that no? It's not okay. I, I was gonna say, is that your best full finish so far? Uh, it is as far as placement. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's the the highest placement I've had in a full. I've gotten third in you know in Eagle Man seventy point three. Yeah. Really there this year. Uh, but you know, general. Well, it depends on the race, but uh, fulls are certainly hard to step onto that podium, uh, which I'm hoping to next year. So. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like if you you know. Uh, for anybody that wants to, you can go to Adam's website, which we'll we'll plug here at the end, and you can see it's kind of uh, places progressing from year to year. So it yeah. wouldn't be surprising to see you do that this next year. Um, I kind of want to go back to Lake Placid since you did have to DNF. Um, as you mentioned, it was from a mechanical, but can you kind of walk me through what happened in the race? Um, kind of leading up to that that point sure uh i mean like placid is sort of a, a race of excuses for me <laughs> <laughs> and then one that finally pulled the plug or caused me to pull the plug on it uh with the mechanical but i mean i'd say it's like maybe a week and a half before the race i got a or we'll say two weeks before the race my wife rebecca got a stomach bug and my uh my mom was in town at the time and then she got it and then my daughter got it and it's a, a couple of days later and i thought i was in the clear mm-hmm. and then it hit me <laughs> so maybe like a week and a half to go i spent basically three days in bed like just absolutely terrible like i couldn't eat anything mm-hmm. uh, yeah if you've had a stomach bug you know how it feels it, yeah yeah not yeah. really race ready <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I ended up just you know staying in bed and not really doing anything about it. But we had you know having to go to go to the ER with Charlie and all that, because uh, just because she was vomiting so much. Uh, so that certainly threw a lot of things into question. And then shortly after that, that's when my hip started bothering me, and uh, it just uh, it really put me in a like wonder, really wondering how that race was gonna go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I showed up to the to the race itself, you know, I, I obviously wasn't sick anymore by then. I still didn't, you know, I did some workouts beforehand, still didn't feel great. Uh, I just didn't really ha- seem to have much pop uh, or like nearly as much as I normally would. And then uh, I say it showed a bit on the swim. I just felt like I was like, at the limit the whole swim. And it was like, guys I'd normally swim with, I was absolutely killing myself to try to stay with. And then yeah. finally, sort of fell off the, the back of a group after the first lap and uh, of the swim. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, it didn't feel, like, absolutely terrible after that, but uh, more so than I than I would have preferred. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean... By the time I my DI2 battery died, which I will put the disclaimer that I, I charged it the week prior. <laughs> uh, I think you I think it said something I think you wrote something in your blog post like it was it was like really old, like you should have replaced it or something. Yeah, I mean I bought it used and I was told okay. I'm four years old. Mm-hmm. And that was well over a year ago, so I don't yeah. You know, I don't know what the lifespan of a of electronic shipping batteries is. Yeah. So, you know. It showed the whole green light beforehand, and I'm yeah, good to go. I certainly haven't ridden a two thousand miles in the past week. Right, ten. It's supposed to be like ten thousand shifts or something like. That. I have I have it yeah. on my bike as well. Crazy, or I shouldn't have to worry about it. But yeah, uh, yeah. Certainly after that race, I uh, I bought a new Di two battery. Because I mean, even with how how I was feeling on the day, I was still sort of warming up into the effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was still riding at a pretty, you know, at a good power output. I got an hour into the race, I was at like mid 280s on my power which is now about about standard for me in a full mm-hmm. uh, maybe a little even on the higher side uh, depending on the conditions I mean it's a certainly hilly course there yeah but uh you know and I didn't feel like I was about to fade or anything uh, yeah so I certainly think a good race could have been possible and I was trying to stay in that mindset but I mean a good race with one gear certainly wasn't going to be possible. Right. I mean, especially there. Is it? Have you raced um, Mushroom Blowing yet? I have not. 
Okay. Know. I was like, I know that course is like notoriously hilly too. I, I didn't know how it compared to Lake Placid. I haven't had the chance to do either yet. I I haven't you know, I haven't done much from a lot, but I've from just from my impressions, uh, I think Lake Placid's a little bit hillier. Uh, okay. I've done Whistler as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seems like uh, Lake Placid wasn't quite as hilly as that one was. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's certainly some long grinds in it. Yeah. Did you have any like, you know, kind of I'll say like mental effects from the DNF? I know, um, I know, it, personally, and then most of the people I know um, that race are not a fan of DNFing for any reason. Um, was it? simply a matter of just accepting that okay, well the battery is dead and it just doesn't make sense or was it was a letdown or, or kind of what was going on when you made that decision uh with uh i say how i reacted to it was sort of based on the fact that my hip was still bothering me at that mm -hmm. point like just before the race and i was very questionable about the marathon uh so honestly it was it was a bit of a relief okay uh, because, you know, if that hadn't happened, I, I was, I mean, I would have refused the DNF no matter what. Like, right. Would, like, you know, the run could have gone great and, uh, you know, could have had a good race. But it also, with how uh, things were going, it could have gone terribly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was sort of like, it could have prevented something bad from happening. Like, for me injuring myself. Because, I, I mean, I'd resolved not to DNF unless it was pretty extreme. Mm -hmm. like uh since i had dnf'd earlier in the year at campeche uh i mean i really didn't want that to happen again mm -hmm. but i mean you know something like a mechanical is sort of like there there really really would have been no reason to continue on because i mean by the end of the bike i would have been probably an hour plus behind if I'd yeah decided to do it in one gear and then uh yeah, running. I don't take running a marathon lightly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it almost, it almost sounds like it, since the, your hip was still bothering you, it's like almost like it's a blessing in disguise. Like it took, especially when it's a mechanical. It's yeah. it's not some. There's nothing you can do about it, especially with the battery. Like if your chain came off, okay, you can put the chain back on, but yeah. the battery's dead. It's not. There's no charger. You can go <laughs> stick it on yeah. an aid station. Yeah. So I, I certainly had mixed feelings about it. Uh, yeah. But in that respect, it was. It was a relief, and it did allow me to to race Wisconsin not too much later. Uh, mm -hmm. If I had, you know, finished Lake Placid and ran a hard marathon, that would have put me back uh, considerably, uh, I think, for doing another race. Whereas this way, I mean, I basically didn't miss a beat in my training, uh, mm -hmm. other than the travel to and from Lake Placid, and you know, the work hours associated with going to a race. Uh, so I was able to jump back into training pretty quickly, uh, at least bike and swim training. Uh, and you know, that led to me having a good race in Wisconsin. So like looking back, I'm, I'm not disappointed that it happened. Uh, I don't think it was like, a uh, a failure on my part by any, by any means or anything mm -hmm. like that. Whereas, uh, you know, a race like Campeche where if something like that happened, it's a, you know, that was a conscious decision that. You know, things weren't going well. It was, uh, you know, my body just sort of let me down mm. uh, type of deal. Whereas there there wasn't a whole lot I could have done to uh, mitigate what happened in Lake Placid. I mean, mm. other than having an, the newest equipment that doesn't die. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, there's enough costs in, in the sport that it's hard to justify every single upgrade. Right. I, yeah, I, I mean... So, uh, as a, just a short, I guess, biography. I mean, I spent a lot of, I spent the last eight years trying to get my professional license and, uh, not quite fast enough. Um, so I've kind of backed off, but I always took the, took the approach that like your fitness justified the upgrade. Like you didn't, uh, didn't get the upgrade to like try to magically be faster. It's like you got faster than you're like, okay, now I can justify getting, this next little thing, whatever it is, a new, yeah. new bike frame or power power meter pedals or the electronic shifting or whatever. Um, sure. yeah. I, so I think I saw you talk with somebody about the merits of electronic shifting versus, I think he, he had left a comment about 
um, just using a mechanical because he didn't want to mess with the electronic. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've had failures from the mechanical too, so it's yeah, not, it's not infallible. Uh, I mean, just a few weeks after Lake Placid, I was, you know, I commute on on a road bike that has uh-huh. a mechanical Dura Ace uh, and uh, cable snapped, and <laughs> <laughs> that happens too. Uh, you know, if you you know you can take care of things and know how to work on things, and it happens less often, but nothing is uh, nothing's infallible. So, and Otherwise, I mean, electronic, I mean, VI2 electronic shifting is typically pretty reliable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, that's sort of part of the game a little bit. Yeah, figuring out your equipment. I, I had, over the years, I've had various bikes and like tons of different mechanical issues with the gearing and the shifting. I have never had a cable snap, but I was like, I've had like um, the the cogs kind of come loose on the hub and then it would stop shifting because yeah. it would like get caught up and just all kinds of nonsense and so i was yeah. like i eventually moved to electronic shifting so there's not the variability of, of the tension when you are you know manually shifting it and putting a little displacing a little bit and kind of wiggling things around and yeah, yeah. that was i think the second time at least the second time i've had a cable snap on me and normally, while I'm commuting something on a on my commuter bike, because I, you know, simply just don't take care of it as well as my, yeah, my racing bike. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as upgrades and everything, I think it depends pretty largely on the individual. If you have a good job and you have good money and you want to, I, I encourage it. You know, one <laughs> for the sport certainly good. Yeah. Uh, so why not spend it on on the things you like? I mean, I think people like us in our situation don't have a ton of resources i mean any uh any money i spend on equipment or or anything else is basically me saying okay but i'm gonna have to work these hours to compensate for that yeah for my training uh, yeah or recovery or time with the family uh so it's you know it's a factor and i've always prioritized the the upgrades that would allow me to become fitter uh, mm-hmm. rather than the upgrades that are just gonna you know make me go faster on race day rather okay uh, so like you know power meter was one of the first things like heart rate monitor that that's that sort of stuff is sort of the the first obvious thing so you can start getting that data and using it day in mm-hmm. day out and you know even even getting a coach or something like if you're hesitant about the cost if you're considering anything before that you know like a, a disc wheel or something yeah you, know, you should always prioritize the uh, things that are going to make you a better athlete first I think. Mhm. For sure. And uh we'll give a, a free plug to Epics here. I actually get my um my suits from Epics as well. What what suit are you wearing from them? Uh so the past year approximately they've had the Go Fierce Pro edition. Uh mm-hmm. it it's a one piece uh that sort of the zipper opens up but it's still attached to the ba- in the back. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean it's pretty, you know, tight fitting. Uh I certainly don't notice any anything flapping or any disadvantages on an aerodynamic side. I mean, I know, uh, you know, I'm carrying about the same speeds as my competitors, uh, mm. at, at least the same, if not lower, power output. So, I mean, as long as it fits well and it seems to pretty well, uh, yeah, yeah, and it's got you know appropriate pockets, like one on the one on each leg and one in the back for carrying gels and stuff. Uh, so that's uh been racing in that one for about the past year uh sort of different ones of their retail uh like line which are just sort of g- the generic designs mm-hmm. uh, and just buy online uh, but soon i'll be you know moving back to a custom suit which was made like just for me with my mm-hmm. design and all that stuff which sort of their bread and butter it's the custom stuff they yeah do a lot of design work especially for teams uh but for uh I mean, they also do it for individuals, which is what I intend on doing. So, yeah, does does your like I, um, so I actually crashed at Eagle Man last year, um, and destroyed my suit, so I had to get a new one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and between the two, like my sleeves switched to that mesh versus like the the same kind of solid material that was on the front that's on the back. Does yours also have that like? super breathable mesh it's like really fine on it yeah. as well so the most recent one is the 
uh, differing thing is you know the pro edition label mm-hmm. is they, they did change what materials wear a bit uh so on the arms uh rather than the mesh all the way down uh they it now has a gripper that helps keep it in one place okay because pro- before that it would bunch up a little bit and you know okay. it, about wrinkles on arm sleeves it's the yeah. worst thing in the world so <laughs> <laughs> so it, it it actually has grippers that keeps it in place uh i mean I, you know, I always go back and look at my pictures after the race from like the bike portion and stuff to see if there were any wrinkles or, you mm-hmm. know, how, how well fitting it was. And, or, you know, it seemed once you get it, you know, you come out of the swim and you get it where you want it, it seems to stay pretty well. But it yeah. does the, the, the mesh in a lot of places like the back mm-hmm. uh, because that mesh, uh, it, I mean, it stretches well, which helps with the fit aspect of things. And then uh, it's also really breathable. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it can't like it can hold some water if like you're pouring it on yourself or something, mm-hmm. uh, which so if you want it, it's good. But it's for the most part, it's pretty, uh, pretty breathable, which is good for the hot races. Yeah, I felt like I had a lot of overheating issues in previous yeah. suits. I had um, I had a suit from Kiwami when I was trying to go like ITU path. And then I had a, a, a suit from Epics that was non-sleeved, but it, it was just that regular material um they've since switched it out and i felt like i overheated a lot i felt like they held a lot of water but like since i switched to the mesh i don't feel like i have like near the the overheating issues i had before i think it was just you know when water sits next to your skin you're gonna overheat instead of it evaporating so once the mesh was there it was like i could dissipate a little bit more of that and mitigate some of that issues for me and i can overheat like i can overheat when it's 60 degrees outside if i've got just how it works for me i guess um so that's been nice i was just curious like if your suit was similar yeah so it's uh yeah i mean that actually depends on the conditions of course uh like on the bike it's it's never gonna stay wet because it's gonna be constantly dried by the wind yeah but yeah on the run if it's uh if it's really humid it might stay a little bit wetter uh simply because that uh it won't evaporate off as well yeah but yeah, I mean, it certainly dries out pretty quick in, in dry conditions, like like here in Colorado where I am now. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I personally, I don't feel like I ever have many issues with overheating, but I certainly have a lot of issues with dehydration. Okay. Uh, I have a, you know, pretty high sweat rate, and I've never, well, I don't frequently feel like I've gotten, like, extremely hot that, like, it's going to pass out from it. Mm-hmm. Something like that uh, I just sweat so much that by the time I get to that point, I just can't push hard enough to make it happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I just get really dehydrated. Come here, get <laughs> Thinking about uh, you're talking about um, the wrinkles on the sleeves, which is like everybody obsesses about all these little tiny details. Yeah. Um, I just thought so. It just made me think about. Where do you sit on the side of uh, shaved legs versus not shaved legs in terms of do you do it and does it matter for your performance on the bike? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely uh, I definitely do it. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's been a, a, at least a couple people out there that have tested it. And depending on how hairy your legs are, yeah. course, uh, naturally, then it certainly makes a difference on the bike. Uh, I haven't tested it myself, so, but, you know, I trust the people that have. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, even the past couple of races, races that I did, I took the time in Transition 1, which made my T1 times uh, a lot slower, but I put on, you know, socks to, you know, you know aero socks. Okay. Which I sort of deemed it, you know, the Ironman bike leg is long enough. Even if it's, like, half the benefit that they say it is, it could end up being worth it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, sometimes you're, unfortunately, that can come at the expense of uh, missing out on like staying with other people mm-hmm. when you're out onto the bike, and you know that happened in Chattanooga. But uh, I'm not a huge fan of of playing tactics and staying behind people and trying to gain every last legal advantage as you can there. So yeah, rather, you know put on my socks and race my own race. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I think it kind of answers the question I'm going to ask is that, um, so I often see 
like at the pros, it's there's this kind of like back and forth, and especially when you read the pro blogs, it's like, you know, uh, I was trying to stay with this person and work with that, and it's like, to to me, the race is so long. Like, it, like if you're running a 5K, okay, you're not going to be out there that long. You can kind of gut it out. Yeah. It, but to me, it seems like with a full, especially, that everybody would kind of say, okay, I know my power range and I'm going to stick to my own plan and just let people go. Yeah. Do you try to race with people or are you really just like, no, this is, this is where my fitness is today. This is, you know, this is my plan and everybody else will just be where they are. Uh, I mean, a little bit of both. There's, you know, factors and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of factors in each race. Uh, so like a race like, like Wisconsin, uh, I knew I'd be behind some people coming out of the water and I knew I had a lot of bike fitness and, uh, I knew I had enough bike fitness that it would be hard for me to blow up as long as I didn't really do something stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I sort of used that whole tactics thing to my advantage in that, uh, I tried to get other people to blow up. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I tried to make it hard on everyone else and, it's also an ego thing, a mental thing, whether it's actual benefit at riding at the legal distance or not in aerodynamics. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, uh, if you can get other people to ride harder than they're capable of, and especially in a race where I knew my run would be lacking, that was, that was the exact plan going into it. Yeah. And, uh, there were a number of DNS in that race and, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, whether that was a part of people riding too hard or not, I don't know, but, uh, it was, yeah, certainly part of it. And then Chattanooga was, you know, it definitely played a factor as well. Uh, I mean, I, I uh, bridged up uh, like Sam and Matt Russell and Andrew Polanski pretty early in the bike, which I did not expect. Uh, once they passed me coming through transition, I expected them to be up the road and uh, I might eventually catch them. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that one played against me a little bit. Uh, because I did bike a little bit harder than I probably should have. Uh, I mean, as far as power perspective, I did about pretty much the exact same thing I did in Wisconsin for the first half of the bike in Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, it was 30 degrees hotter, <laughs> and you can't do that. Yeah. So that caused my second half of the bike to be way slower, and just due to getting super dehydrated, and uh, you know, I was just biking harder than the conditions would allow. Um, this is a personal curiosity and I, we'll, we'll move on in a second because I have some other questions for you but uh, I, I was reading, kind of reading through your blogs talking about the races and um, I think this is something about like spending time at an aid station on the run are, are, are all the pros do, they, do you actually like stop and walk at the aid station to take stuff in on the run or is it a constant motion like you're just picking it up and continuing to run uh, it depends on the person okay uh, I stopped between Wisconsin and Chattanooga. Well, most races this year, I stopped at the majority of aid stations, uh, at least a walk. Uh, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't say a stop stop. but Right. Yeah, not stand still, but yeah. just like your, the, your running motion is stopped. I certainly didn't keep running. Uh, like, even in Eagle Man, uh, where it was cool. And, uh, I mean, I... I you know, I took the time to walk most aid stations and uh, just make sure I stayed fueled because I know my limiter a lot of the times, even if it is relatively cool, is that I sweat a lot and I need to replace that. And uh, it's I, I simply can't get in as much fluid if I'm if I don't take that time to stop. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's probably something I'll try to work on down the road to try to keep the momentum flowing uh, rather than taking those little breaks. But like Wisconsin and Chad, well, Wisconsin, I mean, I knew with my run fitness, it might even been, be beneficial to take those micro breaks mm-hmm. in there to, to ease the pounding on my legs. I mean, it's not like I was hanging out at aid stations, but, you know, yeah. taking steps to walk, getting in nutrition, and I feel like I really nailed nutrition in Wisconsin. I'd say it was a net positive. Uh, Chattanooga was absolutely brutal. So I'd say... Uh, yeah, I mean, there was there was actual stuff in there. To I carried a water bottle with me throughout and just, you know, refilled that at a lot of aid stations. And that was more about survival than speed. <laughs> yeah, well, like, that's what I kind of wondered. Is like, it's like, 
But yeah. I mean, you know, you get watch like the coverage and stuff of the world championship. Yeah, you don't see a lot of those guys stopping or or for aid stations. They've pretty well perfected the art of running through and, and getting yeah. their position. Uh, uh, so, I mean, it's certainly something to work on, but with my limiters as what they are now, uh, I, I certainly prioritize getting in the nutrition yeah. uh, on their run. And yeah, I mean, Eagle Man, it, uh, yeah, I still maintained a really good run. run I mean, I, like I had a third fastest run split even doing that. So mm. I mean, it certainly worked out. I'm glad I didn't uh, take any additional time with uh, the fourth place finisher being six seconds behind me. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, sometimes you just have to put that out of your mind to make sure you have the, you know, a good race throughout the entire race and don't have that drop off because like two years prior, Eagle Man, I, you know, second half of the run completely blew and I was run walking mm -hmm. out of necessity. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, had a, 20 to 30 minutes slower run split because of it. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's always just a curiosity just because it, it, with the distance being so far, we're almost regardless of um, fitness because of how hard you're going personally. Like if I'm, you know, whatever your RPE is, we're all trying to maintain a similar RPE. Like it seems like a game of survival because you're racing for so long that you, you know, you can't, just got it out like you have to take in fluids and you have to take in fuel and and yeah. kind of strategizing all that stuff so it's just again it's just a, a personal curiosity um yeah. I, I do want to shift gears a little bit because i'm curious about what you do for work um yeah. i actually have a friend who is a travel nurse and she posts photos from all over the place uh i'm kind of curious how you chose to be a travel nurse and then like how does that work in with with triathlon because you're going to travel a bunch for triathlon and then you also have to travel for work. So I'm kind of yeah. curious, like how your life works, I guess. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of travel. Uh, but, uh, so I did my first travel assignment. Uh, I mean, I graduated and, you know, did a normal job, uh, worked in the emergency room to begin with before transitioning to the operating room, which generally has better hours and lower stress than the emergency room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I did my first assignment uh, is before we had Charlie, our daughter, and uh, I went to Phoenix, Arizona, and I worked, uh, you know, pretty good job there for a few months. And mm. the schedule allowed me to. It was really the beginning of my like professional career in racing, uh, and you know, sort of just exploring that. And I was really able to get some good, like my first stint and having real good training at what I thought would be, you know appropriate or professional i mean while still working pretty much full-time but mm. you know, uh, and i didn't have any distractions or anything like that uh, i mean the worst part of it was that my wife didn't come with me uh rebecca stayed home you know two thousand miles away uh so you know i decided not to do that anymore uh we had charlie and then after our you know our daughter charlie was born uh, we had i mean that was sort of a point where we had some decisions to make it was mm. either you know, my wife goes back to work uh, and we pay for daycare, which is a significant expense. Yeah. Uh, it's like half of the salary in South Carolina is, would be going to daycare. Uh, and things would sort of stay, like, stay the same. I had a good work schedule for training and all that stuff. Uh, but, I mean, I, did, I do enjoy traveling and uh, we knew that was an option. So we decided instead to do traveling and Rebecca would you know, not work and she would stay with Charlie, uh, and I would work full-time traveling, which it does pay better. Uh, so it, that sort of allowed us that opportunity for Rebecca to stay home. Uh, I mean, I viewed it as a decision that would cause my racing and my training to take a step back. Mm -hmm. uh, it was sort of a conscious decision in that, I mean, it just wouldn't be as good. I'd be working more hours. I'd have a lot more on call. It would be more stressful in general. Uh, and it was, but, uh, I mean, luckily my results have still been in my training and, uh, you know, things have continued to progress, which is super encouraging. Yeah. But since, since we made that decision, uh, we went to Denver for six months. Uh, and, uh, after that we went to Tucson for a few months. That's where, uh, where my coach lives and 
you know, it was during the winter, so that's where a ton of guys go in the winter to train. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the you know, I go are certainly been decided by, uh, you know, what would be good for training as well as as well as the assignments that are available. And then uh, after after that, uh, where we're at now is Grand Junction, and I think we're about six months in here. And we're actually uh, we're going to try to stay here <clears throat> because we love it so much. I mean, another reason we decided to travel, uh, or at least do travel nursing, is to figure out where we want to live eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we love South Carolina, uh, but if I'm being honest, it's not the best thing for uh, being a professional triathlete, mm-hmm. uh, especially where you know where we lived, uh, where we still have a house there. Uh, I mean. It's just dangerous as far as cycling goes. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do to mitigate that danger. And I certainly did a lot of indoor training, which is beneficial. But, uh, you know, when, when you see beautiful places and training places that you don't have to have that danger and that, you know, that constant sense in the back of your mind that you're risking something by going out to do what you love, mm-hmm. uh, then uh, it's hard to make the decision to go back to, you know, to being in that situation yeah is it is it drivers is it road conditions what i mean what's the the issue there yeah i mean uh it's drivers uh not only in the attitude and culture towards okay uh, you know, endurance athletes but also just the fact there's that there's more of them uh, yeah you know east coast is more populated than the west coast in general uh, so more drivers equals more chances of getting hit i've never been to yeah. Uh, I, you know, but I, you know, when you know enough people that it happens to, it's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I certainly don't mind doing indoor training and uh, I'll probably still keep doing it. Some, uh, helps sort of ease my perfectionist tendencies. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, we're in Grand Junction here. There's, it's, you know, it's not a tiny town, but it's, uh, it's not a huge city. There's not a ton of drivers who are. We're staying out on a farm right now. That's where I'm at, uh, sitting here. And, uh, you know, if I want to go time trial, there's, there's a flat farm roads everywhere. And mm-hmm. everywhere I look, there's a mountain that can go go be climbed on the bike. Or Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, there's trails everywhere. And the community here is just, uh, it's, it's just completely different. Like, you know, it's the norm here to be a cyclist or to, to be a runner or a hiker. Uh, whereas the culture like in a place like South Carolina and most places I've been is uh, you're, you're different. Like it's, you're the weird one for, for doing those things. And yeah. Yeah. I, like, I know we've had, um, we've had like mixed feelings. Uh, so in, I'm in Kansas city and the city is trying to like revamp the roads to be multimodal and be cycling friendly and pedestrian friendly and all these kind of things. And like, I, I went to a kind of like a city planning meeting and there was like, Definitely, we'll say older people. Um, they were like, "Who bikes? Like nobody bikes. Why would we even put a bike lane in?" And yeah. so yeah, there's definitely like mixed a lot of hate uh, feelings towards uh, towards just for some reason, and a lot of places. And I mean, it's you know, it's never going to completely go away. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly a different culture uh, here. I mean, even even in other places I've been to. Uh, uh, like you know bigger city is just hard to avoid there's more traffic yeah uh, even if everyone's completely uh you know if everyone's a cyclist and they get it and there's still inattentive people and mm-hmm. uh, but i mean outside of just that i mean it's just uh we just really love it here there's a lot of great people we've made a lot of friends uh yeah it's just it's a nice place to be and, yeah it's i mean it's, it's nice to find some place where you feel like you're at home and you feel like you're you know with other people that get it whatever it is that you're after yeah yeah and i mean i mean even since being here i've only been here six months uh, uh I've, I've already partnered with like a local farm here uh not the farm i'm i'm staying on uh, i mean certainly uh have a good relationship with them but uh another farm that you know has uh they send out like local produce and meat and dairy and all this stuff and mm-hmm partnered with them to, you know, with my, uh, with my training and racing and, uh, you know, they, they find value in what I do, whereas that never seemed to be a thing uh, on the East coast where, 
I tell someone that I'm a, you know, I'm a professional triathlete and I, you know, I view myself as a, as an elite athlete at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. but I do very seriously. Um, uh, um, uh, they, they just, they don't understand, uh, on the East coast, what it, what it means Whereas here. They, it's more of a, you know, people look up, like look up to it a little bit more, it's mm-hmm. more, more respectable, uh, because they do it and they understand what it takes to become good at it. You know? Yeah. Whereas like the, the Southeast, you know, it's a, uh, baseball, football type culture and, mm-hmm. you know, the major ball sports. So that's the kind of athletes they look up to and the, the, the kind of, uh, athletes that are role models, which is good. It's, it's fine, but it's, uh, yeah, that's not the, I've chosen this life. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's always easier. I think when somebody has perspective, say, say they've even just like run a 5k and they have that limited perspective to go, okay, so how long do you go and how fast do you go? Yeah. And then they're like, oh, like, okay, they, they, they get kind of the enormity of it. And I'll say like the specialness of, especially in your case, like how fast you can go compared to, you know, 99.9% of the population. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I'm still, uh, I mean, coming from South Carolina, it's, and like my background as an athlete, I mean, I certainly wasn't a very good athlete, uh, like endurance athlete or anything for a very long time. I mean, I'm still like, I'll go out for runs. I'm still amazed, but like, I don't understand how this happened and how I'm able to do this, but it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I mean, I still remember the times where like, it was so hard and I like, I would, I would try so hard and, uh, to hit certain paces and, you know, do certain things. And now it's like, I can do those things easily. And it's just sort of a, you know, it's a strand for me <laughs> that yeah. I've gotten to the point where I am. Uh, but yeah, it's, but it's, it's certainly nice to be in a place where that's, uh, people, people get it. They understand that, you know, people work towards similar goals and, uh, yeah. you know, people invite you on bike rides after work and, I can walk into a room and people are talking about it with, and I'm not even part of the conversation. Yeah. It's just a normal, normal thing. It's a complete, completely, you know, complete culture shift really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Adam, we're uh, starting to run short on time. So there's a, this is a question every, this year, everybody that comes on the show, I ask this question um, because I think it's kind of a universal. Um, So I like to ask, ask people, so say after a hard race or a hard workout, if you if you can only choose one food for recovery for the rest of your life, what do you choose? Oh, there's a lot of answers to that. <laughs> can you say that again? Your audio cut out. There, am I only allowed to have one answer? Yeah, you got to pick one. That's that's the deal. Oh man, uh, I'm gonna cheat and choose two instead. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, my you know. Answer should be uh, Team Katoof Nutrition because they're my uh, nutrition sponsor. And Load Reload is pretty much what I use, you know, after pretty much all my all my workouts and, uh, you know, even during after races a lot sometimes. So, you know, that's pretty much what I actually use. But uh, as far as, like, favorite, pop, probably, like, ice cream or, or fudge or something chocolatey, maybe. <laughs> I, I certainly like chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like I, I love asking that question because I often I often get that dual response where you're like, this is the answer that I should use, and it's often the answer that's like, like this is what I get. But then it's like I, I get I get answers like uh, I, I love pizza. That I get that a lot. Just yeah. things that's like you you shouldn't you shouldn't eat, so to speak. But it's just like this almost this like mental recovery after you've well kind yeah. Of if put this going in. what I if we're going what I actually choose, and also a bit of what of my indulgences. Yeah. Say, uh, I, I, you know, I'd use a protein, uh, type of recovery, like load reload, which is their like one-to-one, but uh-huh. you know, that leaves you some additional like carbohydrates to throw in there to get to your ideal three or four to one ratio to replenish mm-hmm. glycogen. So, you know, I throw a lot of, you know, whether sometimes healthy, sometimes less healthy sweets on top of that. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, donuts, muffins, whatever's whatever's around. 
if it was super hot. I'm sure something saltier is in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> that's like I. That's why I love that question. Just like I think there's this perception of, especially pros, it's like, oh, you've got to eat like the cleanest diet ever. It's like, well, oh. most of the time. But I also oh. love ice cream. <laughs> I mean, once if you're on the limited training schedule. Uh, you get a lot less uh, leadway in what you can choose. Yeah. If you're on the, you know, 20 plus hour a week training schedule and you burn as many calories an hour as I do, uh, like 800 to 1,000 plus per hour of working out. Yeah. Uh, not to mention the burn afterwards. Right. You get a lot more discretionary calories to consume. Uh, yeah. I mean, you just have to get the fuel. And it doesn't necessarily always have to be the healthiest thing. You certainly want a balanced diet, but uh, yeah. I mean, if I don't eat enough, I'm I'm gonna wither away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Adam. If if people want to follow you, find you, see how your career is progressing, where can they find you? Uh, I've got my you know personal Facebook page. I got got my professional Facebook page, uh, uh, which you know you can find both Adam Fye, um, a professional page, is, you know professional endurance athlete. After that, uh, Instagram it's Biathlon, uh, which is my last name and then Athlon, which I thought was pretty pretty clever. Uh, <laughs> uh, my blog is the same uh, or website. It's Biathlon.com. Uh, you know I try to fit into life or race updates on there which i think i'm due for another uh, life update coming soon so uh yeah get working on that i'll have to keep keep on the lookout for that thanks for coming on today adam yeah thanks i appreciate it it's uh good talking i think charlie enjoyed it too <laughs> that's great take care all right